these special days. Um, sometimes I, I, I've heard, you know, from some of my friends who are pastors who, who actually are lead pastors and do a lot of teaching and preaching, and it's difficult for them on these special occasion days because they go, well, what am I going to preach on this time? You, know, <laughs> you have all these things happen. But I, I love days like this because Mother's Day is really a day that includes everybody. This is what I call an all-play day. It's full participation. Um, how many, just think about how many have had a mother? If you raise your hand if you had. You know, we, you're, all, you're all in this, right? For at some point or another, we can all participate in this, in this service and even in this message. And, and I know at these occasions like this, we celebrate moms and, and what you have done. And we want to look at that a little bit in a, in a moment in this message. But I also want to recognize that this is a very painful day for some. When, when, you, when you put the spotlight of, of, of what it means to be a mother out there, it's really painful for some who have in the last year lost a child or have lost a mother or have wanted to have children who can't. And, and that spotlight just makes that emptiness all the more. And so we really want to pray for you and for all of us at this time. So I'm going to ask you to think about in your own heart for a moment and just would you join me in prayer? And the way you can do this is just think about maybe someone that you know that you, you really, you know, maybe uh, uh, your own mom that you want to honor or someone who's acted like a mother um, and just that, mind, that name come to mind. Or maybe you know someone who's wanted to be a mother or has lost a child or is a, is, is a mother who um, has lost a mom in the last year. And just let that come to your mind and, and just bring that before the Lord as we pray right now. Father, we come into your presence and we are so grateful that you have so ordered this world that we have moms and have people who act like moms for us throughout our life. And we want to bring before you and honor those and also be with those who are in pain. And this is a difficult time. Right now, God, you know and you can see the people that are in our minds, the people that are in our hearts. And just turn those to the Lord. Maybe you want to just say quietly to yourself before God a a prayer for that person or a couple. Father, thank you. We ask and I ask that you would bring your presence in a special way to these that we have prayed for. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would even now, through me, allow your spirit to speak and take these thoughts and ideas that I believe you've generated and those which you want to have impact in our lives now, um, may you, through your Holy Spirit, come and meet us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, have you ever been, you know, this kind of experience where you're at a restaurant and, and you're at this restaurant and, and the waiter approaches the table and the waiter is kind of, you know, a little bit up and a little bit excited as, as he comes to the table and he says, you know, Good evening, folks. Um, can I get you started with some drinks? And then hands out these drinks that have all these specialty things. You know, they're rather tantalizing. They have tempting names and all the other stuff. And you're looking at these things. And, and he moves in to kind of try and take your order. And you're, you might be looking at him. And no one's ready yet to say anything. So you kind of sit there kind of blank because he interrupted conversation. And then they, he notices that. And he goes, well, um, you know, I'll be right back. And, of course, I'll bring you some water. You ever have that? Yeah, and, and I'll bring, you know, afterthought, you know, all these cool things here. And, yeah, I'll bring you some basic, bland, everyday, ho-hum, no big deal glass of water. 
And sometimes, you know, they come and they actually try and dress it up with a little lemon wedge. Water is almost given as kind of the afterthought, the usual, the routine, the expected. It will be there. And moms, as I was preparing this and we were thinking through this whole service together as a team, it came to us that sometimes you may feel like only water amidst the whole spectrum of exciting alternatives. Moms, have you ever felt that way as you load another mound of clothes into the wash? And you change another dirty diaper? Or as you find yourself tracing through another grocery store with one pulling on your wrist and sleeve and the other one you're trying to keep your eye on as it turns, turns a corner almost out of sight. Ever had that experience? And then, and then some of you know what it's like because you're daily in the midst of trying to figure out how do I balance the demands of my life with the job that I have and also the responsibilities I have as a mom for this kid and, and all that I have for being a wife to a husband. You know, you put all those things together. You're only a mom. And like a staple of life amidst so many exciting careers, possibilities, and potentials. It's kind of like that afterthought of, you know, oh yeah, I'll get the water, it'll be there. Well, that's really what I want to address this morning. What I want to talk about is this only water kind of role that many mothers feel in life. This God-given role that can become so bland at times so basic, so tasteless in some ways, that you lose the incredible sense of wonder that God intends for it to be. That you can't get sometimes in the midst of it. And so what I want to do this morning is address this idea, and I want to kind of hijack the series. We've been in a series in Matthew, and we're not going to stay there this morning. We're actually going to look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to look at these verses, and I'm going to read them to you. It says in verse 1, that now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket, which in the Hebrew is the word for ark. So it kind of brings back some other ark images. And got a papyrus basket for him. And catch this, and coated it with tar and pitch, something similar to what was done with a much bigger kind of ark. And then she placed the child in it and, and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, his older sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went to the, down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him this is one of the hebrew babies she said and then his sister asked pharaoh's daughter shall i go and get one of the hebrew women to nurse the baby for you yes go she answered so the girl went and got the baby's mother pharaoh's daughter said to her take this baby and nurse him for me and i will pay you So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, meaning to draw out, saying, I drew him out of the water. 
Now, if you note those words, I drew him out of the water. It's really easy to pass by. It's almost, you kind of go, is this kind of an afterthought? But I want to share with you, this is so much more than water. These words have so much more underneath it. Behind this lay a woman, a mom, who had incredible faith in a God who was calling her to do something um, that was really risky. And as I read this story, I was reading, and I go, this is such a delightful story. A mother does what a mother only can do, and that is cares for, loves, protects, nurtures, and even is willing to go to the point of risking your own life. Now, to, to, to read this story, as I read this story, I kept looking at it, and I, I kept wondering, where's Dad? Do you think about that for a second? Are you with me? And, and, and I find it interesting as we go through this, this in, incredible sense of, of what this mom did. So what I want to share with you, to get this story correctly, you have to look at chapter 2, understanding what's happening before this in chapter 1. Exodus tells us that in chapter 1 there was a new Pharaoh who was in power. And the Hebrew people had begun, they'd grown sizably large in this area of Egypt where they were now living. In fact, they were no longer some small minority suburban community. They were actually spilling into the city and to other places in such a way that their influence was becoming great on all Egypt. You see, these people had been brought from the time of Joseph. Joseph came down, was put second in power. Jacob brought the family down, and the family over 300 years grew to this sizable force. They had forgot about who this Joseph guy was, and now what was happening is this group of people, immigrants living among them, were making things such that it was causing them to lose some of their power. It was causing them concerns. All you have to do is think about in our own modern world today. Just think of Europe, for instance with the Muslim population that's moving in there. And I don't know if you have any kind of read much about internationally what's going on, but there's all kinds of laws, all kinds of things they're trying to put in place because this group of people are growing beyond and larger than what they had expected. Or you think of our own national borders down in the south and, and what that's causing with our own country. Well, that's what was happening in Egypt. And so the solution in that day, very crude culture that, that didn't value life a whole lot, Saw these people, these Hebrews, is is merely now at this point, they'd become like forced labor, just like any immigrant culture. They're coming from the lowest rung in, and from that lowest rung, they're looked at people, and they began to enforce laws that caused them not just to be people who would be had certain rights, but people who were like slaves. So their solution to it is to downsize the population. And orders had been given, something we've read before in Scripture, or you read afterwards, is that they were to kill all the babies two years old and under. That sets up what's happening in Exodus chapter 2. And so in this brute culture that had little value of life, Pharaoh viewed these Jews as slave animals, and so his, his actions were merely to thin the herd. And we have the actions here of one woman. And I want to share with you my thoughts, some thoughts I hope that will encourage you as moms and, and dads and, and, and others who look on will encourage you in your response to their role as mothers. I hope as we look at this, you kind of conclude that it's this, this what I call only water kind of lies that seek, I think, to harm and destroy the value of what a mom does. My hope is that will kind of be exploded today. Kind of that myth will be removed that, that can sometimes take you and I think hold you hostage to some kind of attitudes and, and ways of living that, that God never intended. So at times, 
Being a mom feels like it's only water. And by that, I mean, there are times you kind of think of yourself as an afterthought. No one seems to notice, right? It's, it's this thankless, unappreciated series of unnoticed, sacrificial expressions of love you do in and out every day. Kind of that afterthought, like the waiter who says, oh yeah, after he gives you all these exciting alternatives, and says, yeah, I'll bring the staple. What I find interesting in these first few verses is that there's no name given. Ever read that? If you read through this, there's hardly any attention given to this mother who does this courageous act of bravery. There's a part of me that wants to go, well, who is it? Now a man, it says, of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And catch this now from verse 2 on. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds. Now think about it for a second. When you think of the heroes of the faith, you think of some of the people the Bible lists as heroes of the faith. How many mothers of that hero can you name? I was thinking about this as I was preparing this, and I was thinking about this whole idea of, of, of one of the things that feels like only water is that you go through life in some ways unnoticed. The things you're doing just aren't seen, and sometimes it just feels thankless and unappreciated. And I thought to myself, I wonder about some of those heroes of faith. Let me just start out with Abraham. Take Abraham for instance. He, for, for instance, he, he was one who actually led all the people um, in creating this great nation. He left this place and looked for this land. And he went completely by faith. The character it must have taken to do that had to have someone and someone there underneath them helping develop that. So, Anybody got the name of the mother of Abraham? Well, you would be um, lying if you got it, because the Bible doesn't name it. Only names his father, Amram. Talk about um, another person, Moses. We're looking at Moses here. Do you know? Do you know this woman's name that we're reading about? Now, a couple people got it in the first service. What, are there any? Let's see. We got a couple there. One time, Exodus six twenty. Her name is given. Jacobet, kind of in the passing reference. How about David? Can you, can you give me the name of the mother of David? Now, what I find is interesting when I was going through this, I always get in these rabbit trails, and I would love to take you on that. As I started to study it, you don't find much about David, but if you read some of the, the Talmud and some other writings of the Jewish um, faith and, and history and, and all the Mishnah and different things like that, they give you all kinds of stuff, and it's a really interesting study. So let's forget this study. You know, um, I mean, it's just amazing what they tell you about what they believe is about this woman who had this child. And when you, when you look at Samuel coming and they only have those coming, why this child is out there and, and some of the realities of this fact that this David was probably a person who was, was not considered um, uh, from a reputable birth. There's all this kind of stuff around it. But you know what? The Bible doesn't mention her name. But she had to be inspiring and breathing into his life. In fact, the Talmud says her name was Nitzavet. How about Isaiah. Anybody know the mother of Isaiah? Bible fails to mention her name. Jesus. Ah, you are so much better than that first crowd. The first morning audience, they were just like, I thought, come on, it's an easy one, guys. I wanted to give you one so you felt like, you know, you feel good about yourself. Mary. The Apostle Paul. 
We're not told, again, about the Apostle Paul. But then again, another real sidetrack is at one point in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, Paul is writing to, to Rome, and, and he, at the end of it, says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. And I thought, what a neat thing. You may not be a mother, but there is the opportunity to be like a mother to some others. And, and look at this. He says, there is a woman who is like a mother to me. Not that Paul didn't have a mother, obviously, right? We already finished that one. We all know that everyone does. But what you find here in this is that, that Paul never had been to Rome, so he's writing to this guy Rufus to greet his mom who's been a mom to him. And, and when you read through Scripture, there's, it's, it's really an unusual name, this name Rufus. It's only mentioned one other time. It's mentioned about a time when Jesus was, was carrying a cross and this man named Simon, a Cyrenian, father of Alexander and Rufus. And when you trail the whole thing back, it all comes back to the time when Paul was standing before Stephen, at this time called Saul, having him stoned. He's in this temple in one of the um, synagogues of Cyrene. And it's more than likely at some point this woman who lived there before she went their son Rufus to Rome had a huge influence on his life. The point of all this is much of what a mother does it's unnamed, unnoticed. It's behind the scenes and often unappreciated. But there are times when you think about it, when the real hero is mentioned, right? Think about it. Who invariably gets a shout out? I like to watch um, the state final hockey stuff at time. And, you know, they, they line everybody up and, and, and you have the camera going through and panning each of the, the guys who are standing. You know, they come up and they some are acting really cool. You know, there's someone that come up and what do they say? Not, hi, Dad. Right? It's, hi, Mom. With a big smile. Same thing happens often when you see the hero after a, maybe a football game or a, some other athletic event, and, and they come up and they do it, and, and one of the things he looks at and goes, hi, Mom. Because we instinctively know who was there unnoticed. We, we know the silent hero behind the hero. I like what Nassim Nicholas Tlaib says in his book. He has this insight. The book that some of you may have read called The Black Swan. There's a subtitled Impact of the Highly Improbable. He makes the point that some heroes are noticed after their death. You know, this posthumous um, recognition of this person who was maybe an artist or an author or a composer or, or in some area did something great that nobody recognized. But at least at some point they're recognized. He says there are some, though, that are worse treated than that. He he says, but there are even more mistreated heroes, the very sad category of those who do not know they were heroes who saved our lives, who helped us avoid disasters. They left no traces and did not even know they were making a contribution and had no idea the moment uh, of, of, of the contribution that they actually had made. This is far more vicious kind of ingratitude, he says. It's the feeling of uselessness on the part of the silent hero. And I think what's interesting is he says, let's just do a thought experiment. Let me just take you through a thought experience of of the kind of person who is behind the scenes, who is there, who does these things and may not even get recognized later in life, but they're just there doing it. He says, assume that a legislator with courage, influence, intellect, vision, and perseverance manages to enact the law that goes into universal effect and is employed all throughout this, this, this group, on September 10th, 2001, okay, one day before the 9-11 crisis. 
It imposes the continuously locked bulletproof doors in every cockpit. So that day, September 10th, 2001, every cockpit now has a bulletproof door. At high cost to the struggling airlines, just in case the terrorists decide to use planes to attack the World Trade Center in the New York City. He says, I know this is lunacy. This is the whole point of a, a thought experiment. And then tongue-in-cheek, he parenthetically says, I'm aware that there may be no such thing as a legislator with intellect, courage, vision, and perseverance. Now, this is the point of a thought experiment. But he goes on and says, the legislation is not a popular measure among the airline personnel as it complicates their lives, but it would have certainly prevented 9-11. Are you with me on this? Here's the silent hero, he says. The person who imposed locks on cockpit doors gets no statues in public squares, not so much as a quick mention of his contribution in an obituary. Seeing how superfluous his measure was and how it squandered resources, the public, with great help from the airline, might well boot him out of office. He might retire depressed with a great sense of failure. He might even die with the impression of having done nothing useful. Unknown, unnoticed, he would die a silent hero. I want to tell you, much of what goes on and can happen in the life of a mom is the stuff that is unnoticed, it's not seen, it's not thanked, it is just day in and day out, that constant, continual work of the silent hero behind the scenes. And not only did it go unnoticed, but like only water, it may seem that all you do at times to just make it worse is routine, it's bland, it's menial, and it's meaningless. Because what you do is often not just unnoticed and thankless, but it becomes routine. And for the most part, may seem totally insignificant. In a sense, if you think about it, you could even reason that any hired maid could do this, right? If you read the word here, it says that's all Moses' mother became. She nursed and nurtured. She was a babysitter nanny and a paid nursemaid. Later, after Moses was weaned, and usually they'd wean about year two, and if you go to, to third world countries even today, a lot of the weaning takes place for the first few years. They don't wean that child to about two years of age, and when that child is weaned, it, then it, it, you, you, know, you break it, and, and that's probably around the time that she started to do some of the transfer with Pharaoh's daughter. So at that point, she probably is getting house visits. If you look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 7 through 10, it says, Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, meaning to draw out, saying, I drew him out of the water. And what seems so routine and becomes so boring and bland is much more than water in the eyes of God in the lives of those you nurture. Think about that for a second. The things that you do, the things that you are investing, which which you don't get thanks for and which you do in routine and you do over and over again. And after a while, you kind of go, well, in all of this, it, it seems so. But think about it. Who was it? That, that, that would tell baby Moses, and as he would grow on those house visits, the stories of his forefathers, and began to plant in his heart this seed. Who was it would tell about the promise of God that there was a promised land that they were called to? Who was it who spent that time day in and day out doing the routine task, taking care of them, 
going through all that was building into the life of this little child the character of God. I like what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, without taking away from the joys, rewards, and those extra special moments of motherhood, the daily tasks of that assignment can be, and he, he underlines it, makes it bold, underscores, puts an exclamation point on it. He says, the daily tasks of that assignment can be grinding. Washing mounds of clothing, ironing, folding, cleaning, shopping, cooking, carpooling, being a referee, a coach, an encourager, a counselor, a cop, staying pretty, remaining tactful, lovable, compassionate, cheerful, responsible, balanced, and sane. All have a way of making a mother feel strung out and spent. And it is also daily, so relentlessly repetitive. There is so much to know as well as to learn, he writes, about this matter of being a good mother. It doesn't simply just happen once you have a child. It's as absurd to think that giving birth automatically makes you a good mother as it is to think having a piano automatically makes you a good musician. There's an enormous amount of work to it, more than most ever realize. And then he says, certainly more than most husbands realize. Can I get in any men? Yeah, and like the last service, it was women again. He said, guys... Where's the dad? You know what, guys? We have an incredible opportunity to notice, to thank, to appreciate. We have an opportunity to come around and to recognize those daily, those constant, those repetitive, those continuous acts and expressions of love are the very things that are building into our kids, the things that will make them who they will be. And I hold my hand up. I'm one of those. It, you, you may have to think, guys, of some techniques. You may have to put in your calendar once a month. I'm going to take time to make certain sometime this day I'm going to do that. Because that kind of action, that kind of thing done over and over again, that kind of routine gets to a point that it becomes very difficult. And they need our support. And so when I think about this, I, I look at this and I think of this, the unnoticed, the not thanked, the menial and the routine, this doing constantly, consistently over time, those acts, you need to know also, mothers, it's transforming to those very lives of those little ones you've been entrusted to. And not only that, it builds character in you. In fact, if you want to see character growing in your own child, God is calling you to also, as you do those things, as you open your heart to him and you let him do the things he needs to do in you, he wants to build that character because the character that you want in them happens in you. And so you have this, 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 this idea of this unthanked, this unnoticed, and then it moves into this routine and, and continual daily grind, as Swindoll says. But think about it. It is the routine, the consistency, that dependability that brings about the stability and the peace and the hope in your children. As you do that day in and day out, it's that routine that allows them to feel safe. It's that actual um, repetitiveness that, that is that thereness quality that gives them a security. Think about little kids for a second. Little kids in their life, especially when they're young, everything is new and coming at them. When you look at those little kids, everything is new. They need someone like you. They need someone who is there, who is consistent, who is the same, who can be there for them in that way. Even when you feel like you're not good at it, that's okay. 
Don't let the lie get into your head. You have been given a responsibility by God in such a powerful way to be present, to be there, to be consistent so that this child can know security, can know peace, can have a sense of hope. It's all those things that God in His incredible wisdom and grace has sown into this universe. And one of the things He's called you to do is to be a mother. And it is one of the greatest things you can do for this world. And it is something that God delights in. Think about little kids. Think about yourself for a second. You see the sun come up every morning. You see the seasons we hope change. We hardly even notice that. A lot of times we hardly give thanks to that unless it's a spectacular sunrise. But the consistency of our God who puts those in place give us a sense of security that allows for our lives to walk in such a way that we can have actually have hope. Now think about it. You are like the sun in that way. You are like the new season in that sense to your child. It is as God puts them next to you, you can provide those kind of things that give them that sense of hope. I just marvel at little kids. I remember when I was a little kid, I think for about three, four years straight, I would eat peanut butter and jelly at lunch every day. There's a reason they do that. Because they need that sameness. And so you may feel unnoticed. You may not be named. You may not realize the consistency of the routine that you do again and again in their life. That you sometimes wonder, this is so bland, this is so meaningless. I look at all the alternatives and I hear the waiter say, there's this out here. And then I recognize I'm only water. You aren't. You aren't. And so there is this temptation to also think that like only water, you have little impact. At times you may think. There is no measurable impact. We live in a culture that is so short-sighted that we have in corporations, every, every stockholder looking at the next quarter, it's almost impossible for corporations to build long-term vision anymore. It's almost impossible for not just businesses, for churches, for other places to say, hey, we're after something that we believe God's going to make happen, but it may not happen in the next quarter. You may wonder, even as you look at your adult child, some of you, you may be looking at that child going, I poured all my love and I sacrificed and I did these things again and again. And God, I keep praying for him. I'm sure Jacobin may have thought after Moses killed this Egyptian and failed to bring about the uprising he was hoping for. I'm sure she began to wonder, was it worth it all? I'm sure she may have wondered after Moses was living in the desert as a fugitive, caring for a bunch of sheep for his father-in-law. Think about that. She's, she's actually seeing him now. He was raised in the temple courts. He had all this promise and she had this belief in her heart that God had saved him like an ark and saving this guy, he would save the people. And now he's living, taking care of sheep. And she's wondering and she's praying, was it only water? Imagine the pain she felt as she saw him separated from, couldn't even come into the boundaries of the city because he was this guy who was wanted. There was the wanted posters up there. Get this Moses guy. He lives there 10 years. He's out there 20 years. He's out there 30 years. Just imagine how old she is. Imagine the prayer she had. Imagine the hope she had. Who knows if Jacobet 
Live to see your son return 40 years from that isolation from the desert. Think about it. Who knows if she ever saw her son lead Israel out of the grasp of this oppressor Egypt. Who knows if she ever saw her son stand before Red Sea and see it part. Who knows if she ever saw her son come down from this mount with these laws from God having his face shining like the sun. I mean, she could have actually died thinking her son was a murderer on run in a far off land. And she could have died wondering if all she did had no impact at all. She could have died unnoticed, unthanked, unappreciated, faithful, dependable, consistent, sacrificing her life, acting in love, raising her children, unaware of any future impact. Now consider this. Who is Jacobed's mother and what was her name and her mother and her name and her mother and her name? Who began to see after Joseph's reign had begun to be forgotten and people began to grow and then there was the tensions beginning to build and things got worse and worse year after year. And each of these mothers faithfully, all they did was faithfully be dependent to what God had called them to do. And they lived into their life and the character of them went into the next child, went into the next child, went into the next child. And they never saw anything, but it seemed to get worse. Mother after mother, in this generational link, who had no idea what God was up to through their loving nurture of the children God had given them. And they never saw in their lifetime, they never saw in their lifetime the impact of their daily faithfulness as like mere water they were spilled out so those they loved might be filled. I just want you to think as they come up and we just do this little song and this little demonstration here for you. I want you to think to the person without faith, it's only water. But with faith in the hands of God, as you do it again and again, it is so much more. Though it was as your life may be, it is much more than water.